Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing day, and we praise you that your word, regardless if it's in Spanish, English, Chinese, Arabic, French, it is your word, and it is living, and it is active. And we praise you that you are a God of signs and wonders. You extend your hand, Father, and we pray that you would speak through your word today. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Teach us, encourage us, comfort us, heal us, convict us. And Jesus, that we would truly see in a new, fresh, powerful way that you are Emmanuel, your God with us. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. And amen. You all may be seated. Daniel, thanks so much. I just I want to encourage all of you, as Daniel and Sandra and their Jasmine is somewhere, and uh, the rest of their kids will be coming up here. Take advantage of this month while they're here. Uh, they live in Mexico. They serve in Mexico as some of our global workers. But take the opportunity to spend time with them. They will be. They taught again today. The story in class. We're going to take two weeks off because of Christmas and New Year's, but then on the 8th and 15th, they'll be back in the chapel again at 9.30 for our soaring workshop. So anyway, so glad you guys are here. Bienvenidos de nuevo. And then Daniel and worship team, I just want to say thank you so very much. So it is awesome. And that rendition of Go Tell It on the Mountain was awesome. So thank you. We need to go tell it on the mountain because blessed are those of the feet of those who bring good news. And we need to shout it from the rooftops in our homes, on the street, wherever we are, that Jesus is Lord. If you've closed your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them back up to Isaiah chapter 7. And before we dive into this passage, I've got two, I call them pastor privilege announcements for the fact of being the pastor and get up here and preach almost every Sunday. From time to time, I get to make special announcements that aren't on the agenda. The first one is this. At the end of every pew are ballots for approving the budget for 2023. So if you are a member of our church, if you didn't vote last week, please just ask your partner. You might have to walk a half mile down the pew to get these ballots, but please pass the ballots down. And for everyone who's a member of our church, please vote today. It's not only the approval of the budget, but it's also a new regional campus in Columbia, Tennessee. So at the Columbia, Tennessee campus, it's a special one because it's a grandbaby. It's not people leaving the Brentwood Baptist campus going to Columbia. It's actually 15, there's like 15, 20 home groups that worship at Station Hill that live in Columbia. And over this past year, they've been praying a lot about starting a regional campus in Columbia. So, But in order for that to happen in our bylaws, the congregation needs to approve it. So there's a place to mark the approval of Columbia. But then down at the bottom, the budget. There are two things. How many? Two, say two, two. We got reprimanded. This is really complicated for some of us. So, because some ballots were turned in just with one of the things checked off. So, if you're voting today, do your vote. And then when we give our tithes and offerings at the end of the service, you can just fold it and put it in the offering plate, and we will take it down to our central main support office. Clear as mud? Okay, that's the fun announcement. The other announcement is kind of bittersweet. Uh, because of the end result of what's going to happen, Lord willing. But the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And if you've been part of Woodbine, you know that the Lord gives us an amazing brothers and sisters. And after a year or two, the Lord takes them away. And usually he sends them to another state and lots of times to other countries. And Wes and Tamara Banks have been part of our church family for years. And Wes has been on staff as our missions minister for the past two years. But he and Tamara, now that they're empty nesters, 
and they still love their two boys, but they don't live with them. But they have definitely been sensing that the Lord is leading them probably overseas again at some point in time. And that's what they're trying to discern. But Wes has turned in his letter of resignation as our missions minister. And they're just trusting the Lord as far as what's the next steps for them, when and where. But uh, so he'll be on staff until January 15th. Is that correct? So they're going to be going, but not completely yet. So they'll still be around. They're still part of our church. They'll still be worshiping and the whole nine yards with us, but they'll be in and out. But I just want to say thank you, Wes. You've been an incredible blessing to us as the missions minister, and we will pray over them in mid-January. Just a prayer of blessing, not commissioning yet. Hopefully they'll stay here several more months before they go, but just trusting Jesus. But do pray for him and Tamara, just as they discern where God is calling them. And we've said it. We'd love to give people away to the nations. And so we're very grateful, even though it's a bittersweet goodbye. It's not quite yet. Oh, there you are, Tamara. So I just made the announcement. So anyway, but we will pray over them uh, later on in January. So those are my two announcements. Say two. Oh, can you say three? No, I was teasing. So it's not math class. So alrighty, Isaiah chapter 7. Starting in verse 10, we won't read it yet, but before we dive into this, just a quick review. We're in Advent. Advent is the four Sundays, or the four Sundays before Christmas. This Advent season is the longest Advent season we'll have, because next Sunday is Christmas. So Advent will go all the way till Christmas Eve. But this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. It's a time of preparation for Christmas. And as Americans, we love to prep, we love to prep, but most of us get sick of Christmas before it's even Christmas, because we've been singing those Christmas songs since October 15th. But in this, these four weeks, it's prepping. In the first two Sundays of Advent, it's really looking ahead to Jesus' promise that he'll return. These last two Sundays, it's looking back at his first coming. And in today's passage, Emmanuel, probably the most famous known Old Testament prophecy of Jesus because it's cited in Matthew, Emmanuel, God with us. And last week we looked at three things. Jesus is our hope and the work of the Messiah. And the first thing that we saw is that Jesus truly transforms transformation. The second thing that we saw is the healing presence of the Messiah. And then the third thing we saw is that Jesus is the way. He's the way to the Father. Today, we're looking at Jesus is our life. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, I've got a question for everybody, and we're all getting triggered with it right now. Who likes to shop? Raise your hand if you realize. Yeah, raise it high. Who likes to shop? Okay. It doesn't matter online at the mall. Raise your hand. Who likes to shop? Okay. There's some, there's quite a few of us. Okay, cool. Good. I hate shopping. I was one of the, and it started since I was a kid. I think I need freedom prayer with shopping because at a certain age in my life, I had to wear husky pants, which were the, that was the kind way of saying chunky, hefty, but I wore husky pants because I had big legs, a big waist, a big bumper. And it was just really hard to get the right kind of pants. To this day, I hate shopping in every form. Now, I love going to mall because I love the people watch, and I just love to watch people. But going on to try on a new pair of blue jeans is awful for me. 
And in the past, I would take Christy with me and she'd be outside. I mean, literally draping pairs of jeans over the doorway as I'm changing into one, not the other. And everything from slim boot cut to big boot cut to athletic to relaxed fit. Never am I ever going to try on skinny jeans, okay? So there's, there's only about 2% of the population should be wearing skinny jeans, okay? I wouldn't try on skinny jeans. And after a good 30 minutes of losing my salvation and a lot of cussing and a lot of anger, I would then leave and discuss and not have bought anything. I'm just that way. I hate shopping. And I'll go store after store after store trying on every pair. Now, what does shopping have to do with this passage? Well, really nothing. But kind of in the same way that I would go to store after store after store, trying on every single pair and brand and type and kind. and could never do it. We're going to look at a king today, King Ahaz, that tried everything, trusted in anything and everything that he could for protection, for peace, except the Lord. He looked in every direction, in every way, to every person for protection and safety and security, except for the Lord. Right here, Isaiah chapter 7, and I want to give some context. So we're actually going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read a couple of verses. I'm going to read chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to skip down to verse 4 and then jump to verse 9. But right here in verse 1, this is what he says, and let's stand. This is not the same passage that Daniel wrote. These are the few verses before, because I really want to unpack the context of this Emmanuel passage, because we know God with us, Emmanuel, and we always think to Jesus. But the first meaning, the very first meaning comes out of this context right here in verse one. This took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah. Aram's king, Rezin, and Israel's king, Pekah, son of Remaliah, went to fight against Jerusalem, but they were not able to conquer it. When it became known to the house of David that Aram had occupied Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the hearts of his people, they trembled like trees of a forest shaking in the wind. And then the Lord told Isaiah, go and talk to Ahaz. In verse 4, say to him, calm down, be quiet, Don't be afraid or cowardly because of these two smoldering sticks, the fierce anger of Rezin and of Aram and the son of Remaliah. Don't be afraid of them. Calm down. Be quiet. I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell my kids, calm down. Verse 9. The chief city of Ephraim is Samaria. And the chief of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. You guys may be seated. I wanted to read some of these verses because I really want to unpack to you what's going on. And I'll give a brief history. Israel under King David was one united country. And King David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was perfect, because King David was a murdering adulterer. But he had a heart after God, and he pursued God with all of his heart, even though he was a horrible, wretched sinner like you and like me. And God promised David over and over that he would maintain a son on the throne if they obeyed and followed the Lord. God reaffirmed that covenant with King Solomon, David's son, 
But by the end of Solomon's life, Solomon was so evil and so wicked that the kingdom of Israel split into two. The northern kingdom, which is Israel, the southern kingdom, which is known as Judah. And for centuries, these two kingdoms, even though they were brothers and sisters in covenant with the Lord, at times they were united, at times they were fighting against each other. Not once in the history of Israel was there a godly king. In the southern kingdom of Judah, from time to time, there were godly kings. And in fact, Ahaz was the first ungodly king in almost a century. When it says here in verse 1, this took place during the reign of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah. Jotham was his father. Uzziah was his grandfather. Those were two very righteous kings. Then come along, comes along Ahaz, the grandson. And at age 20, he started to rule and reign. And he was wicked to the core. He was so wicked that he offered his own children to fire as a living sacrifice, burning his own sons and daughters to Baal. That's how wicked Ahaz was. He was idolatrous, murderous, self-centered, immoral, and he chased after every single God he could for protection and self-preservation. He was so evil that he destroyed the altar of the temple. He cut it up. He created a new altar. He built it in the temple. And the plans of that altar was from a pagan god in Damascus, an Assyrian god. He was so wicked that he eventually closed the temple and wouldn't allow Yahweh worship. He was so evil that he was the turning point for Judah that then started the trajectory down to their eventual exile by Babylon. This was not a righteous man. And yet he would create altars and shrines and temple worship of so many other gods, except for the God of Israel. He wanted nothing to do with the God of Israel. He didn't care about the covenant. All he cared about was himself and self-preservation. That's who he was. During the time of Ahaz, the international power, power was the kingdom of Assyria. And they were pressing hard on Israel. And Israel was in the north and then Judah. And to the east of Judah was a small country named Aram. And Israel and Aram, they formed an alliance to try to defend themselves from Assyria coming down. Now, if you're a history buff, I'm sure you're into this. If you're not a history buff, you're like, oh, who cares? And they wanted Judah to join their alliance to try to defend themselves from Assyria from being destroyed. And Ahaz said no. He told me, I'll go kiss a truck. I guess in those days, go kiss a camel. Get run over in the highway. But Ahaz said no. And so Israel, their cousins, and Aram attacked Judah. It says in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles that the king of Israel destroyed over 100,000 of the Judah, Judean soldiers. And they took captive over 200,000 people in exile. Judah was obliterated, but as it says here, they couldn't conquer Jerusalem. And they wanted to destroy Ahaz and then put a puppet king in Judah to be able to defend themselves from Assyria. What's not said here is that Ahaz sent messengers up to Assyria one of their own enemies, the international power, please come down and protect me. I'll give you anything. 
And Ahaz stripped the temple of all its gold and silver and copper, which was a precious metal back then, and he sent it to Assyria for payment. This was Ahaz. Evil, wicked, murderous, self-centered, self-righteous, and he cared nothing of the Lord. A perfect candidate for God to show up, right? That's our context. Let's stand, and then starting here in verse 10, we'll read, and we'll look here at this passage that we know so, so well. Here in verse 10, Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, Ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Okay, you guys can be seated. You see in verse 1, God told Isaiah, who was a prophet, Go to Ahaz and encourage him and tell him that these two kingdoms, Israel and Aram, they will not destroy you. They will not defeat you, even though they've already attacked him. And he tells him, be strong in your faith. If you're not strong in your faith, you will not survive. And then God tells Isaiah again, go back to Ahaz and tell him, ask for me a sign. You can ask anything you want, but ask of a sign. You can ask a hard question as deep as it says, Shoal. I'm not pronouncing it correctly, but it's, it's, as Daniel said in Spanish, it's the place of the dead. It's the term that, Jew, that Jews would use in the Old Testament as the resting place for the dead. Your question can be as deep as Sheol or it could be as high as the highest heavens. Ask anything you want. Ask of me a sign and I will give it to you. I will confirm to you what I want to tell you. You see, God longs for relationship. And this evil king Ahaz, he's an evil, wicked king. He doesn't deserve any of God's grace or mercy or forgiveness. He's not seeking after the Lord, yet the Lord is seeking after him. And through the prophet of Isaiah, Isaiah comes to him and encourages him and says, do not be feared, but be quiet, calm down, quiet your soul, trust in the Lord and you will see mighty things. But Ahaz refuses. And so Isaiah again says, ask of the Lord anything you want. And he'll answer you. He'll give you a sign. But how does Ahaz respond? He says, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Now on the surface, that answer, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. It might seem pretty pious. If you know your scriptures in Jesus, when Jesus was tempted in the desert by the devil, How did Jesus respond in one of the temptations? Do not put the Lord to the test. If you read the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, do not put the Lord to the test. Do not test the Lord. If you read Psalm 89, Psalm 78, over and over again, we see in the Old Testament where it says the Israelites, God's people, they tested the Lord and he punished them. We know that we shouldn't put the Lord to the test, right? We shouldn't test them. And so when you read Ahaz's answer, I will not ask. I will not ask for a sign or for a test. It comes across, maybe it's pretty pious. Maybe he's humbling himself. Now you might be asking, what does it mean to test the Lord? Here's a very simple definition. I'm being sarcastic. Christine, I put it on screen. This is what testing the Lord means. To test the Lord means to question God's presence, his character, 
and his promises by trying to force and demand his hand to act or perform. I'm going to read that again. It's to question God's presence, his character, and his promises by trying to force and demand his hand to act or perform. Try to manipulate God to respond your way, basically. It is to believe that God is only trustworthy if he responds and acts according to our petitions and perspective and will, instead of trusting in his sovereignty and goodness, regardless of our present day circumstances. That's a mouthful. But testing the Lord is trying to force God to work, move, or act according to our will and our desire. We try to manipulate him to do what we want. And we refuse to trust in his goodness and his sovereignty and his will, even if our present day circumstance in life doesn't make sense or is challenging. Is that what God is asking Ahaz to do? No. You see, God longs for the salvation of everyone. Centuries later, Paul, the apostle, wrote a very powerful letter to a young man named Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 2, and Chris, if you don't mind putting that on the, on the screen, it would be great. In 1 Timothy, maybe it's chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is what Paul exhorted and encouraged Timothy to do. Look at what he says. He says, first of all, I urge that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for who? For everyone. And then look at the focus for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. You see, Paul encouraged Timothy, we always need to be praying. We need to be praying for everyone. And then Paul puts the emphasis on kings and on those in authority. And then Paul goes on to say, he goes, this is good. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved. Say everyone. Everyone to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of truth. You see, Jesus is the way. He's also the truth. And we see this foreshadow with Isaiah and with Ahaz. Ahaz, this wicked king, he doesn't deserve God's grace or his mercy. But like we see in 1 Timothy, God desires everyone to be saved. God is reaching out to Ahaz, even though he doesn't deserve the protection or the mercy or the grace or the forgiveness. But God is reaching out to the king because the king is the head of the people. And in spite of his wickedness and evil, God reaches him. He says, ask of me and I'll give you a sign. I will answer you. It doesn't matter how hard the question or how confused you are or how difficult it is. And remember what's going on. There are two kingdoms pressing down on Judah and they want to execute that king Ahaz. He's in the pressure cooker of life that I don't know if any of us or many of us truly understand. Have you been in a situation that is so grave that your life is on the line? Your literal life is on the line. Think of the stress and the pressure that Ahaz feels. 
And he's going after every single God that he knows of every single thing, even the enemy of his enemy, who's not his friend, Assyria. He goes to the Assyrian king asking for protection, but he refuses to go to the God of the universe, the God of Israel. And yet God comes to him very humbly with this prophet Isaiah. He says, ask me, I'll give it to you. And Ahaz, it looks like he's pious, but he's not. Because Ahaz knows that if he humbles himself and asks God for a sign, that means Ahaz is on the hook to obey. And Ahaz doesn't want to submit to anyone. So it's just best not even to ask. Because if I know, if I know the truth, I'm more accountable to it. So it's best just to, you know, instead of humbling himself. Well, how does Isaiah respond? Right here in verse 13, Isaiah said, listen, house of David. And this is God speaking through Isaiah. Listen, house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive. Have a son and name him Emmanuel. By the time he learns to reject what is good and choose what is uh, to know what's bad and choose what is good, he'll be eating curds and honey. For before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. We see this prophecy through the lens of Jesus, and we should. But it's very important for us to understand that in the Old Testament prophecies, especially those of the Messiah, there was almost always two, if not three, meanings. There was the immediate fulfillment within their lifetime. Then as we look back, we know because we see the New Testament writers citing these verses, confirming the coming of Jesus. That is the second fulfillment and the greater fulfillment of the immediate prophecy. And then sometimes there's even a third meaning referring to Jesus' second coming. But Isaiah prophesies through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies that the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel. And he says, before he's old enough to choose between good and bad, these two kings, these two countries that you fear and that you dread will be abandoned. Who is this child? Who is this baby that Isaiah is talking about? Most theologians think that it is his own son, who if you read chapter 8, you'll see that Isaiah's wife had a little child. Back during this time of King Ahaz, right after this prophecy, Isaiah had a son. This prophecy that Isaiah prophesied about Emmanuel happened around 735, 733 B.C. In 733 B.C., Aram, one of these two kingdoms, was destroyed. In 732 B.C., Assyria came into Israel, almost devastated it. Eleven years later, in 722 B.C., Assyria came back into Israel and destroyed it completely, exiling tens of thousands of Israelites. Before this child can choose between good and bad, Traditionally, for Old Testament, a child was held accountable at age 13. 
What Isaiah is saying is that before this child turns 13, these two countries will be destroyed. And Ahaz and Isaiah, they had a relationship. It wasn't a friendship, but it was a relationship. Isaiah has a son. Ahaz knows that the son of Isaiah is the immediate fulfillment of Emmanuel. And every time he sees that son, he will be reminded of the prophecy that Isaiah gave him. Before this child can even choose between good and bad, these two countries will be gone. Within two years, the first country was gone. Within 12 years, Israel was wiped out. That was the immediate sign, the immediate fulfillment of God's word to Ahaz. God is the God of truth. He speaks and he fulfills. And so for almost 12 years, Ahaz would see Isaiah's son and would remember that prophecy. A virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. His name will be called Emmanuel. And Ahaz would be reminded day after day that God challenged him and came to him through Isaiah, telling him, ask me a sign. Ask me anything you want. I will answer you. And yet Ahaz hardened his heart and he refused. I didn't read verse 17, but let's stand up to read verse 17. And this is to close before we move into the Lord's Supper. Isaiah told Ahaz at the very end of this passage, the Lord will bring on you, your people, in your father's house, such a time as has never been since Ephraim or Israel separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. You see, Assyria came down and destroyed Israel and oppressed Judah completely. And Ahaz turned his back on the Lord and said, no. How do we apply this passage to our lives? Because it's a prophecy from a long time ago. Well, first and foremost, and this is the really awesome news. Because see, Matthew cites this verse in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew, as he's talking about the birth of Jesus, he quotes Isaiah 7, 14. And the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. and His name will be Emmanuel. You see, the first Emmanuel was Isaiah's son a fulfillment back in that day. But the greatest of all Emmanuel's is our King, our Lord Jesus, who is God with us forever and always. And as Matthew cites this verse here, it's not just for Ahaz's time. It's for our time because, see, we're oppressed by temptation, trials, sin, and even the fear of death. And yet Jesus has come and he took our sin upon his body and he shed his precious blood and he died for our sins and he conquered both sin, the grave and death and he lives forevermore. God with us. And see, just like Ahaz, God longs for a relationship with his people. He longs for everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. I know most of you in this room, I know most of you love Jesus. But if you haven't repented of your sin, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, today is the day to do it. And as we approach Christmas, I know that most of us have family members, friends, neighbors, coworkers who don't know the blessed hope of Jesus. And as we sang at the very beginning of this service, go tell it on a mountain that Christ is born. Why was Jesus born? 
because he is our sign that God loves us and longs to restore us. He longs for reconciliation. He is our Emmanuel. And my challenge for all of us today is this. Are you trusting in Jesus or something else for your well-being? Ahaz chased every God under every tree and on every high hill. Who are you trusting besides the Lord Jesus? My second question is this. How can you regularly experience Jesus in your life as Emmanuel? And then the third question is this. Who in your life needs to know that Jesus is their Emmanuel?